Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. It is the bi-week edition of the BCJ Podcast. I'm Chad Brendel, joined for now by my football partner in crime, Dave Simone. A very special guest here in this first segment. Not the special guest maybe that you thought it was going to be, but a different special guest, and still special nonetheless, as we are joined by none other than 1530 and 700 WLW's Mo Egger. And the athletics, Mo Egger. You are you are a man of many talents, Mo Egger. I'm still Plan B. I mean, let's let's face it. If Tony Pike was available, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. That's fair. I mean, I I had Tony booked for the show. I was going to ask him a lot of questions about quarterbacking and uh, playing behind a porous offensive line. Unfortunately, Tony had some things uh, that prevented him from fulfilling his. Uh, his commitment to this show. So I'm going to ask you those same questions. I'm sure I'll provide the same amount of insight. I I appreciated though, the transparency because I've been a guest on things where they make you feel like, you know, it's a huge, a huge coup for them to get you. And it's not. And then after the fact, (laughs) you find out like seven other people turned them down. So I, I appreciate the, the the willingness to let me know. I mean, you got to know what your role is. You got to know what your place is in life. I certainly know what mine is. It's, you know, I'm basically the holding the clipboard until I mean, Tony can't go in and I get it. This is kind of your fault. You kind of brought him into the business. You know, I was thinking about that the other day. You're really kind of right. Um, now, Tony, <laughs> to his credit, has, he's taken you know, kind of taken it, it. Yes. He's taken it and run with it. But if you go back, um, I want to say his first season on the sideline was 2015. I think that's I right. So. 15 or 16. One yeah. Two. <clears throat> and so it, it, it was certainly 15. I was trying to think if it was 14 or 15, but okay. I, I'm almost sure certain it was 15 because Tommy G had left. Um, and Tony was our sideline guy. And so Tony had filled in a couple of times, when, you know, we had to move guys around, maybe Tommy had to call a football game for Dan or Tommy had to miss a game. And so Tony had done a couple and he was pretty good. So he's doing sideline for us and we're getting on the bus to go to the airport to, to go on a road trip. And uh, at the time I was doing the Monday show with Rocky Boyman, they were transitioning Rocky into a full-time talk show host and they wanted him to focus on doing the show at night. So... Uh, plus he was doing a lot of like maxion, these weeknight college football games. <clears throat> so they had asked me, you know, can you do the show by yourself for a week while we figure out what's going on with Rocky? And I was literally sitting on the bus, having a conversation with my boss and Tony's in the seat next to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's fine. And I just look over at Tony. I'm like, Hey man, you want to fill in for Rocky? And then that turned into like, it, it got to the point where it's like, you know, week in week out, I was always looking for a fill in for Rocky. Tony was always willing to say yes. And he's hung around ever since. And he's, <laughs> That's the key in this I mean, business. really. and Yeah, and now he's like an employee at a radio station. And it, it really just happened um, through me kind of looking over at him like, well, hell, you played a game in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> One, singular. <laughs> I've got some chemistry with you. I've known you for a while. So, you know, let's, let's have you in there. And, and he was really good. I mean, I, you know, from the get-go, I thought, uh, you know, th- th- there was potential there. And. Um, he's taken it and run with it. And he's, he's now carved out like a little mini empire between Fox sports, Ohio and, you know, our stuff and, 
I watch him do high school football stuff at Cincinnati.com. He's podcasting. He's uh, he's kind of all over the place. Yeah, you. So you're welcome, everybody. You're mm-hmm. welcome. Yes. And, and and now you get to be his backup on this show. So <laughs> yes, right. It, it, it comes exactly. full circle sometimes. <laughs> sure. Well, you you would be you would be amazed um, how many people like uh, need him for things, and they go through me. <laughs> you're his, um, his age is his kind of agent now. I don't think he'll mind me telling this, but Bill Cook has a book coming out about the 09 Bearcats. Yes. It, and it's really good. It, 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 I mean, he, he, was, he was nice enough to give me um, a manuscript, sort of a rough draft, and, and it's, it's really, really good. But, like, when he, it, he needed Tony's involvement, and it, he asked me, he's like, well, can you see if Tony will participate? I'm like, yeah, I could ask him. And then I'm like, yeah, Tony says he'll do it. He's like, well, can you see if he'll meet me? You know, at Skip's Deli in the building we work at. When I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do it. So then he gives me the book, and then, you know, he was interested in what I thought. And, and then he's like, can you give a well, copy to Tony? <laughs> did you give a copy to Tony? What did he think? I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> but and that kind of thing now seems to happen quite often. Nobody ever goes through Tony to get a hold of me. Probably not. I, I, I think that's Correct. a safe assumption. He's like, hey, Tony, can you get me in touch with Mo? No, it never never happens that way. Next time, I'll do that. I'll, Tony, can I <laughs> Yeah, go through Mo? him. He'll enjoy that. He'll enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, let's get into the, uh, the 2019 Cincinnati Bearcats football season as we are at the bye week, uh, week four, bye week, three games in the books. And looking at the schedule before the season, Mo, it was kind of like, what the hell are we going to do with a bye week in week four? <laughs> and now it might be the best thing to happen all season, depending on how things play out. One, this team is getting some guys healthy. Uh, as I reported on Bearcat Journal <laughs> earlier in the week, Arquan Bush, Jared Dokes, Malik Mudge, uh, Malik Mudge, all back. Sorry, Mudge. I have a problem there, Mo. We'll get to it in a second. All back on the practice field. Here's my problem with Malik M- Mudge. Sheck Mudge taught us the <laughs> pronunciation of M-B-O-D-J, right? Mudge. I think that's his legacy. We we took two whole years to get that right. And then Sheck while well, stepping on somebody is his legacy. But I digress. Uh, it took <laughs> two whole years to get Mudge right. And then this other guy comes in, M-B-O-D-J, and he wants to say it how we said Sheck Mudge's name wrong for like a year and nine months. And I don't approve of that. But he's back on the practice field. So they're getting healthy. Well, that's a good thing. And they're they're getting a chance to figure out exactly, now that they've got some tape, how to get things figured out or what they're going to do going forward on the offensive line. Um, ultimately, though, a great time for a bye week. And we thought this one was like a, a throwaway bye week. Who the hell needs a bye in week four? The answer being the 2019 Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah, it, it, it really feels, you know, I asked you on my show if their two and one was a good two and one, because, you know, we, as fun as it was to dream about being, beating Ohio state, I, I think we all, I think most of us at least thought that the, the, the likelihood was they were not going to win that game. And, and I think, I think most of us understood the possibility of that being a, a you know, a blowout, maybe not a shutout, but a blowout. And, and I think most of us thought they should beat UCLA. And I think most of us 
assumed they were going to beat Miami. So most of us had them at two and one, but it doesn't to me feel like a great two and one. And you know, this team's goals are still, you know, the same as they were, I think for the most part before the season started, they can compete for a league title. Um, But it, it just feels like it's it's really hard to pinpoint specifically on offense what they're what they're really really good at. Now I, I kind of feel like against you know most teams that don't decide that they're going to sell themselves out to stop Michael Warren. I, I kind of feel like I know what he is. Kind of feel like I know how good he is. And you know they, they've they've used <laughs> excuse me guys. There's they've they've sort of used some creativity for him. Um, you know in the Miami game and you know, to a, a different degree against UCLA, but it's, it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, consistently what you can bank on, you know, I would Josiah DeGuar is a really, really good college football player, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure you can go into games against good teams deciding, you know, Josiah DeGuar is going to be the best offensive player in the field. And we're going to hang a bunch of points on somebody. So I'm really hopeful that during this bye week, specifically with the caliber of defense that I think they're going to play against Marshall, and then just the caliber of team they're going to play against UCF, I really hope that they can use this bye week to not only get healthy, but kind of, you know, the word is I think sometimes so overused, but it's appropriate here, figure out what their identity is is going to be because – I'm not sure. And, and, and also maybe get Des Ritter going, you know, you, you know, you kind of wish you had a cupcake game coming out of the bye where you thought, you know, Des can get right, can get some confidence, uh, you know, have a big game and maybe that gets him going. And I don't think the thundering herd are going to present that kind of opportunity for him. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, worried if you will, but I, the 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 season so far especially you know relative to our preseason expectations you know i'm i'm a little underwhelmed i'll admit that dave hello are you there dave simone dave i, I am here I'm would you here. like to, would you like to ask questions of our guest mo egger yeah real insights sure. coming here guys so fire away <laughs> so and i i tend to agree with you know Mo's take on it, you know. Um, well, there's one Mo with not being <laughs> not so necessarily disappointed, but just I think there's more questions at this point maybe than when we entered the season. But what I mean, from your vantage point, what do you think? Like the issues. I mean, it's easy to see, like specifically the Miami game. Des just wasn't on. But there just seems to be something that's not clicking, and I don't know if it is 100% related to the offensive line problems or if they're just not in a groove yet where it seemed like last year he kind of, once he kind of took over, it was not all systems go because he was a freshman in his first first season, but it, it seemed to almost flow better then than it is now. Maybe it is just tape and and things like that, and people are accustomed to what he does and what UC is going to try to do. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard for me to put my finger on because um, there's just something like you could look at the numbers and go, okay, um, this guy was supposed to be better, but it's like it's like watching Joey Votto hit, 
if if you've watched him when he's at his best, you just know something's not right. And and that to me is watching Dez. You know, it's and I know the offensive line is not, you know, clearly to, to put it gently, not been a strength, but there's just something, there's just something not there. And I, I think people forget he's. I think there's two things. I, I certainly believe there is a a ceiling to what he can be. At the same time. I don't think he's a finished product. Like, I don't think he's hit that ceiling. So there's, how do you deal with a quarterback who's still got some room to grow, who's developing on the job and developing while you're playing in these really tough, important games, whose overall um, ability as a thrower is, you know, probably not great. That doesn't mean it's bad. I, I think that's, I think that's hard to kind of reconcile. You know, I, Chad, you and I talked about it on the air. I mean, I looked on Twitter during the game on, on Saturday, Saturday against Miami and you get people who want to bench him. And uh, number one, I don't think that game is the game where you do that. I, I think you're using that to try to get him some confidence and also get him used to playing behind this offensive line. But, you know, I can certainly understand watching him, especially when the games get tough and you certainly understand that he's, he's developing and that he's probably got some limits as a thrower, but is benching him really the answer? I don't think the answer is yes. At the same time, the answer is also him looking, you know, not as good as we thought he would look and not, not look as good as, as he looked at, at the end of the year last year. So I think it's, I, I think it's kind of a really tough thing. And, and I'm probably not articulating this very well, which is, you know, kind of my MO, but it's, 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 it's tough because. Host. That's right. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's tough because I, I, I watch him and I go, okay, I, this is, this is not the guy that I saw light up ECU at the end of the year. ECU wasn't very good. This is not a guy that I watched almost week in and week out grow into the position in, in front of us. He's not playing terribly and he made some really good throws uh, in the second half against uh, Miami. He also left a bunch of them on the table in that game. But the caliber of quarterback play that I'm seeing right now is not going to be good enough for them to be some of the, you know, the better teams on their schedule. And their schedule is loaded with, you know, some, some potential, you know, potentially tough, tough opponents. So, yeah, I, to me, you know, all this other stuff, they got to get Des right somehow, or at least they have to get the quarterback play right somehow. And I don't think at that position there's a better option than Des, but he clearly has to be better. I've got an interesting question, Mo, because this has been spinning around in my head. Uh, I haven't, I haven't written about it yet, but I, 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 I think I'm going to sometime before we get into the heart of next week. But I, I want, I want your take. Do you think the 11 and two season last year, which, which wasn't against the strongest of schedules, do you think that 11 and two season kind of messed with expectations in what is for all intents and purposes, still a rebuilding project. And I say that from the, the, the thought of the 2016 and 2017 teams. I think you would struggle to make an argument that they were one of the top 100 teams in the country, either of them. That's mm -hmm. Tommy Tuberville's final year, Luke Fickle's mm -hmm. first year. They go 11-2 and two last year. And now all of a sudden the expectation is that they're a top 25 team in the country that can compete with an Ohio State on the road or 
is going to potentially win the American Athletic Conference Eastern Division, um, which has a monster in UCF sitting there that doesn't look like they're going to miss a beat without Mackenzie Milton. Um, and a, a, a Temple team that looks very good. And then a Western division that, that they're playing Memphis and Houston, who both at home should should be very, very difficult for Cincinnati. How much do you think last year messed with the expectations of this fan base? Because if that team last year does maybe a little, we expected everybody kind of was talking six and six before the year starts. Let's say that team last year ends up eight and four in the regular season, plays a, 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 a non-power five opponent, a group of six opponent or whatever the hell it's called um, in a bowl game. Maybe they win that bowl game. They finish nine and four, something along those lines. Aren't the expectations considerably different this year? Like did last year, did they, did they skip steps in this process? Uh, Luke Fickle's rebuilding process that maybe impacts expectations for this year. Yeah, I, I, I yes. I also think you can couple that with the fact that every piece of recruiting news for two years has been really, really good. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many times did I call you up in in the off season to talk UC football because Luke got a guy, right? And and not only got a guy, but you know, kids who are here, kids that, you know, people have, have followed. And so I think you kind of have this snowball effect of, <clears throat> you know, they, they start things off last, November, uh, last uh, I think the game was on September the 1st, but they, they start the season off, they win at the Rose Bowl. They get off to a 6-0 and start. They go 11-2. and uh, And now more people are paying attention. And now there's recruiting news. And, all right, you know, people raved about their signing class, the recruiting class. And then, you know, all the news since then, you know, somebody even said to me before the season started, do, do fans realize, like, the players that we're getting excited about are still in high school? You know, they're not on campus yet. So I, I think there's been a little bit of a snowball effect where it's, it's a bunch of really good news on the field and a really feel-good kind of Cinderella season that no one saw coming. I mean, no one saw that coming last year. And then you add to it just, you know, national analysts are saying great things about Luke Fickle and recruiting classes are getting – a lot of regional attention and, you know, people are talking UC football. And I, I just think all of that, you know, really gets people thinking bigger about the program, which is great, but, but also probably, you know, getting a little ahead of themselves. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people, you know, that would mention to me the Ohio state game, just, you know, not to keep dwelling on it, but would mention the Ohio state game to me over the summer. And I would go, well, you know, I, I think this is a, the best team they've sent there in a while, but no, I don't really think they're going to win the game. And they would look at me like I had three heads and I'm going, you know, first of all, do we, do you realize most teams in the big 10 have no chance of beating them? Like it, I don't have a problem playing the game, but it, that's a lottery ticket. Like don't, don't base your, you know, however you assess 2019, it shouldn't revolve around that Ohio state game. Now, if you, you want them to go and play well and, you know, hopefully they, they acquit themselves well in Columbus, you know, fantastic. But th that's, that's not the basis by which you should judge this season. That's just, that's just not how it is. And, and so, yeah, I think all of that, every, the season we had or they had last year, I, I think people do tend to forget, you know, how, how much some of those games could have gone either way and, and how bad some of those teams were. They, they were, I don't like to use the word lucky, but, but they were fortunate to, to beat a pretty average, below average, if you will, SMU team on a walk-off pick six. 
they really had no business losing that Temple game. And, you know, I know Temple had a good defense and is off to a, you know, a really good start this year. The, the Miami game was in a monsoon, but a seven-point game heading into the fourth quarter. That UCLA team last year was dreadful. Cincinnati, you know, really needed uh, Chip Kelly's team to piss all over itself but before they beat them. And that's not to take anything away from them, but it wasn't like they were steamrolling people 38-3. to you know, they did that last game. They didn't They didn't steamroll a very average Virginia Tech team. I'm certainly not trying to discredit what they did, but I, I do think folks got so wrapped up in the surprising nature of it, the bottom line of 11 wins. I think, frankly, there's, there's an element of, you know, we're celebrating the 2009 team, and look, all these great things are happening, and, you know, people always want to compare the present to the past, and, you know, I think that's nonsensical with, with that team compared to this one. And so, yeah, I think all of that added together has kind of thrown off people's expectations. And and what I fear is going to happen is, you know, maybe this team only goes 11 and or uh, only goes eight and four this year, or or maybe only goes seven and five. Now, an eight and four record is is nothing to to be ashamed of. And then a lot of folks are going to throw their hands up and go, eh, see, last year was a mirage. This coaching staff doesn't know what it's doing. And and they're going to stop paying attention to the fact that the recruiting momentum is continuing to push forward. The scheduling momentum is, is continuing to push forward. And there's a lot of players on this year's team who are going to be here next year that I think can make up the nucleus of a, you know, a potentially double-digit uh, win team next season. I, 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 that's a long answer. But, yeah, I, I certainly believe to a degree people's expectations were – you know, altered to the point of, um, you know, being unreasonable because of 11 and two, but also all the good stuff surrounding the program. And there's a part of me that embraces that because I like high expectations, high expectations equals interest equals enthusiasm. And for a number of years, there was none of that. So I'll take this, but yeah, I, I do think there are people who kind of overstated maybe how good this team um, really is. Dave? Yeah, kind of just a little bit on what Mo said. I mean, I, I pay attention to a lot of talk nationally, and even taking last year into account, you, you listen to the guys that really cover the sport and not just the top 15 of the sport, like the whole sport, and they still feel that even regardless of what happens <clears throat> this year, this program is still a year or two even ahead of schedule. So, you know, I know we kind of talked preseason about, you know, could this team be better but have a worse record? And then we were kind of like, well, no, they could be better and have a better, like, as good a record. But sometimes that doesn't, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. I mean, they're going to, I mean, we've talked about it at nauseam almost. The schedule is not even comparable. I mean, I'm, I was just thinking about it while Mo was talking I'm fairly certain OU is the only team they beat last year that had a winning record. And that's, that's not going to be the case this year. It might be the um, case this year. It wouldn't be good. Well, it could be. If it's the case then it's definitely not good. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, there's definitely some level of expectation that gets heightened. I think in college football – almost more than any other sport in, in, I guess, in college. It would only be college football and basketball. Recruiting just plays such a part into what fans expect. And 
you know, at a program like UC, even though the recruiting has been awesome, and as Mo said, a lot of those guys are either not here yet or they're freshmen. And what are you really going to expect out of a freshman? I mean, freshmen are playing more and more, but it's still not. I mean, still the team is mainly older. The, the impact players are mainly older players. So we're still not yet to the point of Luke Fickle's great recruiting classes being sophomore, juniors, and seniors. Where well, yeah. that's the point where you're like, go ahead. Just to further your point, that 2018 class that was considered the best class in program history, those kids are either sophomores or redshirt freshmen. Or in the case of Brian <clears throat> Montgomery, because he gray-shirted a true freshman. And that's a long way from being a veteran team. Now, you have a lot of those guys. I, I, I think it's underrated how good the 2017 class was with Kobe Bryant and Derek Forrest and Mike Warren and, and, and guys of that nature that Fickle was a Desmond Ritter, that Fickle was able to either get late and or keep in the fold. But ultimately, the recruiting push that Fickle has made, those kids are still babies. I mean, we're just now starting to see, like, Malik Van and Josh Wiley, Myjay Sanders, you know, all the guys that, that made up that big-time 2018 class, Alec Pierce. Those guys were bit players last year, and and now they're just starting to step into a role, you know, where they're they're elevated up the roster and, and elevated into status. But we're probably still at least another year, or, or as, as Mo said, two years, and Dave said, two years from those guys really – being like the the backbone and the driving force of this program so i I think it's important and that's why i wanted to ask mo that because i think it's the the perspective is important as they go into this three-game stretch that let's be honest mo this team last year as as well as they played at home they were not good on the road no i mean no not 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 even not even close. I, I was I was thinking about this as you spoke because, you know, again, and, and a lot of what's happening with the team this year um, falls against the backdrop of, again, the, the 09 celebration and, you know, people talking about it, and it's great. So uh, I I have a feeling that there are, there are people who call themselves UC football fans who – you know they went 11 and two next year last year, and now the program is back. And by back, that means remember when we went undefeated, and you know, kind of ignoring they they've won the program itself has won <clears throat> three conference titles since they've been to bowl games, uh, they've produced NFL players, but you know it's all right. They went 11 and two, and I'm I'm starting to feel about UC football the same way I did a decade ago. Well, what happened a decade ago? They went undefeated. And I mean, I remember at the time going like, guys, this is not the, the new norm. I mean, e- even if this program is great, this is, this is not, <laughs> it's really hard to go undefeated. I've, I've always believed there are people who kind of viewed that as, oh, this is how it should be. And then when it wasn't that anymore, it was like, well, what the hell? We're not going 12 and 0 every year. It's like, no, nah, I mean, you know, a nine, nine and three seasons, pretty damn good college football year. And so I, 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 I wonder how many people kind of viewed last year as the return to this norm that they've created in their head, this, this new standard that, 
you know, hey, it's it's back to the way it was at the end of the last decade when they were winning 10, 12 games. And then it's like, yeah, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do that once, much less in successive seasons. And and then you look at the league and you look at the, you know, the schedule this year. And I think that's been sobering for some fans. Like, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Uh, number one, this team might not be quite as, as good as we made it out to be. Number two, oh, wow, this schedule is tough. And, yeah, it was silly to even talk about uh, what it was like 10 years ago compared to, I mean, it sounds silly. It sounds silly for, for those of us who kind of have, I think, a good perspective, but we all know people who don't, to even mention what that program was like or what that team was 10 years ago and compare it to now. But I, I believe there are people who, who've done that and viewed 11-2 and two as, oh, well, the next step is we go undefeated again, and now we've got a coach. Maybe he's here for a while. We're going to go undefeated all the time. And that's just not how it works. It's certainly not how it's going to work this year, but that that's just not, you know, no one would be happier if it did than I think the three of us, but that's just not how it works. Well, and Mo, I think a lot of people look at that and they say that was year two of the Brian Kelly era. So rebuilding didn't take him that long, but that was essentially year five of the rebuild that was started by Mark D'Antonio. Like that was right. literally year five. Because all of those guys that were the the backbone of that undefeated team, almost all of them were Mark D'Antonio guys. Right. So Luke is in year yeah. three. Go ahead. Yeah, year three, and and I, you know, again the, I mean, it, it it was a mess. What he took over was 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 a mess, and and it was, you know, yeah, there, there were some 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 players who have turned out to be you know, quite good. It's it, a lot has been made of, you know, the fact that, you know, Luke inherited Des or, you know, whatever. But I mean, there's, it was a mess. And that first team, like Luke's first team was awful. They should have gone one and 11. I mean, they, you know, they were like four plays away from winning one game the entire year. That's how bad they were. So, right. you know, number one, I think it speaks to how, you know, really the, the job that was done by everybody to produce an 11 win team last year. And uh, also the the things that went into an 11 win season, which included the schedule being forgivable and some breaks going their way and some unforeseen developments kind of occurring throughout the course of the season. But having James, you know, Wiggins. Uh, having James Wiggins make three plays that, I mean, uh, you know, we, I think we've talked about it. Uh, the bowl game, he saves the OU game, he saves and the SMU game, he wins, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's hard it's hard. I hate to say that last year's team was lucky, but it it benefited from great fortune, and it's hard for that to continue. If this team is going to win ten games this year, it's going to have to be exceptionally fortunate against a much more difficult schedule. Dave, anything for Mo before we part? Uh, let's. Um, it's, um, I mean, unfortunately, we've we've kind of been feel negative today, so let's, no. let's end positive. I don't think we're negative though, Dave. I I want to I want to get out in front of that actually, because initially, yeah, initially like no, I was realistic, but I was but we're focusing but, on the 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 issues, but I do think there are positives that we've seen yeah. so far. Well, and that's the thing. Like I, when I when I when I initially wanted to do this, I wanted to recap the first three games and 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 do all of that stuff, but. To me, I, I think it just felt more interesting because because Mo does come from a fan perspective, and I thought it was more interesting to just talk about the expectations and 
and how last year might have, have skewed those expectations. Because I don't think if that team did go 9-4 and four last year, I don't think that, that coming into this season that things would have they're going to beat Ohio State or they're going to they're going to be you know the team playing in the Access Bowl and they excuse me they still might be the team that plays in the Access Bowl but i just thought it was a good conversation to have because it's not one i think has been had and nobody would know better than me i'm on with tony i'm on with mo i'm on with lance i do tv hits i know the questions that come in i just thought this was a good conversation to have i think it's one that hopefully that the fans find interesting and, and and I don't want it to, to come off as negative because that wasn't the intent on having the conversation. It's just a conversation I think that I think it, it, it does good to have. So, No, I, I agree. I, I totally understand that point of, like, expectations and and what what where they come from and everything. I just – I I feel like sometimes, like, because we can see that there's certain aspects that they're – struggling at that it almost then flips I think they're doing like, well. Right. Oh, well, I feel just, you. Right. So I, I actually want to say, ask Mo something because you kind of touched on it this week and, and it's one of my favorite topics and I know that there's nothing we can do about it for 10 years but what the hell do we do about the Miami series? <laughs> you know, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's a fair question. I asked Chad about it today. I, I'm I don't want to say that I don't care. Um, because I, I don't I care, I'll I, say I, it. I, I don't care. Well, I reached apathy. If, it, if, it, if they played every year for the rest of my life, fine. Fine. My team's going to win the overwhelming majority of those games unless I see something from uh, Miami's <coughs> – I'm sorry, guys. Excuse me. If, unless I see something from Miami's program that makes me feel otherwise. If it went away tomorrow, I wouldn't miss it. I don't get excited about it. It doesn't stir people in the city. Uh, I've heard from uh, older UC alums who have said, you know, the game still means a little bit more than it might to, you know, someone closer to our age. <laughs> and I, I understand that. But, you know, it for me, if it went away, fine. Um, the arrangement they've made, you know, where they don't have to go to Oxford as, as often, I, I think that's fair. Um I understand those who don't want to play at Paul Brown stadium because it's always going to feel um, empty. You know, you can get 40,000 people at PBS and it's going to feel empty. I could certainly understand those who say, well, look, this has been a, a rivalry that's been alternating for years and years and years. So, you know, should Miami really have to suck it up and play it at, at UC? I guess what my question would be, and I'll be honest, I don't really know any Miami fans. <laughs> <laughs> How big of a deal? No, like, honestly, like, no, how big of a right. deal is the game to them? You know, like, I, I hate to say it. I know Miami grads, but, but I don't really know anybody who follows Miami oh, football uh, passionately. Or you see fans. Like, that's the thing is, I mean, to me anymore, when you look at where you see is in the conference that they're in and where – that conference is in the pecking order of the sport. I mean, with what UCF has done, it's hard to ever say that a team from the AAC is going to make the playoffs. And that's not where I'm coming from with this, but, like, you control four games a year. 
and I, I just feel like we've gotten to the point where we're wasting an opportunity, whether it's an extra home game every so often, a true home game, not a all-brown game, like a true home game, or a really good one-off game that's ESPN or ABC and we're getting a bunch of money, or I don't know what it is, but, like, they get four chances, and the last time they lost this game, I was in college, like, that was a long time ago. And you were in college for a while. Though. I w- and that makes it even worse. <laughs> like, the first 12 minutes of that game, I don't know if UC was like paint, like, I don't know what they were doing, but you commit, they got called for 16 penalties. They were totally inept for 12 minutes of the game. And it, after that, it wasn't even competitive. So, like, yeah. we keep talking. People keep talking about like, oh, well, they're getting closer, and the scores are getting closer. Well, actually, now they're not. Like now they're right. starting to shift more towards it was it was before Tuberville was there. We're like, UC plays terrible for a quarter and wins by twenty two, and it's not even that close. And yeah, you I'm know, my like, my, what are we doing? My end of it is, uh, number one, I, I don't – the University of Cincinnati doesn't owe Miami University anything. So, you know, the, the idea that, well, you've, you've got to pay, you know, homage to the rivalry itself, not really. I mean, <laughs> we've watched we've – we've gone through an era in college football where traditional conference rivalries have blown up. Um, some of UC's traditional rivalries have blown up. Like the, the sport has been fine. College football will be okay if UC and UC and Miami don't play each other. Uh, both programs can can exist w- without playing each other. If the University of Cincinnati decides uh, it's in our best interest, meaning in the in the best interest of scheduling, and and I think in the best interest of its its supporters, its fans, boosters, donors. Um, to not play that game every year, then, then I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I'm fine with that. Now, it, does that mean you're going to replace it with a power five uh, program every year? No, I, I would, I would like to think that it's also not going to mean, you know, a guaranteed FCS game every single year, but if it, if it went away, um, you know, I wouldn't miss it. If it stays fine, you know, uh, I, I get the whole victory bell. They've been playing since, you know, Lincoln was president or whatever. Like I, 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 fine, whatever. I, I just, I, I don't feel like that this, the school, the administration, the athletic department of the football program owes Miami University anything. And that's, that's no knock on Miami. It's just it, uh, the University of Louisville doesn't owe the University of Cincinnati anything. They don't want to play in football. Don't play in football. It's fine. But I, I think if, 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 you know, I know they have a deal in place through 2029, if they get to a point where they examine that rivalry and say, it's not in our best interest to continue I'm fine with that, and and we'll be okay. I mean, you know, we'll we used to play Oklahoma and Nebraska every year in the Big Eight. We don't do that anymore. You know, it's it's okay. We've we've moved on. So, it it, it you know, every time I hear the argument that it should be played, I ask, how excited do you get for it? Do you even go to the game? Does it matter to you? Did you know when the game was this year? And oftentimes the answers are no. So that's that's kind of where I come from. If they decide it's within their best interest to play Miami every single year for the rest of my life, you know, okay, I, I, I might not entirely agree, but if it's, hey, we want to we wanna guarantee an extra home game almost every single year, 
we have a, a greater opportunity to bring in uh, power five schools and play more home and homes or, or even play, you know, um, a group of five schools that could perhaps be a little bit more competitive that even if you do go on the road, provide your fans with uh, a good travel opportunity, that's okay too. They, they don't owe the rivalry anything. They don't owe Miami anything. And so uh, that's, that's kind of where I, 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 I don't care about it that much. I think it's, you know, they play for a bell. They win every year. Um, it is one of those things, and I think we would all agree, you play it every single year. At some point, you're going to lose. And when you win 14, 15, 16, whatever it ends up being in a row, and the other guy finally wins, you know, it's you could ask uh, Florida fans about that. When, when Kentucky finally beat them last year, it's like, all right, at some point, you're going to win. And when you do, you're going to be obnoxious about it. It's going to ignore the fact that for decades, Florida beat Kentucky. And it will be similar here, although obviously not quite as long. So there is that element. And I do think there are UC fans who just want to avoid that. You know, when Miami finally wins, how brutal is it going to be? But beyond that, I wouldn't miss it. If it stays, it stays, and that's fine, too. I just hope, and I, I believe this will be the case, when the school itself decides to, to make a decision about the, that rivalry and that spot on the schedule every year, they do so with their own best interest and their fans' best interest in mind. Mo, I will just I, I will leave you with this. Somebody mentioned this to me over the past week, and I can't remember who. Um, this is such a big rivalry that a guy that grew up in Columbus and knows everything about football in the state of Ohio didn't realize it was that big of a rivalry. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, is that it, not poignant? It's, just, though? it's not. It, no, it's it's fair. It, it's it's not. Whenever I hear about what a great rivalry it is from UC fans, because again, I don't know any Miami University football fan. I always ask, okay, who's your most hated Miami player? Inevitably, they'll say Ben Roethlisberger, and then I'll go, okay, who's number two? Cam, <laughs> who's your, who, who's your most hated Saturday. Miami head? What's that? Cam Butler after Saturday. Cam Butler, but uh, uh, what what Miami coach did you dislike the most? Was it Shane Montgomery when I mean, they beat him like a drum? What was it? You know, the late Terry Hepner. I mean, who was one who, of the most who did, who did you not like? like? Right. So it, again, it to me, it's more of tradition than it is rivalry. Rivalry is UC and Xavier. I mean, rivalry is Kentucky, Louisville. Rivalry is Duke, Carolina, and basketball. There's a difference between tradition and rivalry. This is a tradition, and I I think it's an awesome tradition. I think it's cool that they played every single year since the forties, I think it's cool to have a rivalry that goes back to the 1800s. I think that's, that's neat. If it stopped, I'll still think that's neat. They played forever. Um, the, the two programs are, you know, forever linked because of that. It doesn't mean that it has to continue. Uh, and, and so I don't know anybody who really gets fired up about it. I, I really don't. And if the argument is, well, you know, what about Miami? Number one, from a UC standpoint, who cares? Number two, do, do Miami people really look forward to playing UC? I mean, I, I, I don't know. When UC has gone to Oxford, there's nobody there. And I know they've had, you know, they've gotten better since the winless year. But it's, this will sound harsh. I've been doing sports talk radio in town for 12 years. I've never gotten a phone call about Miami sports aside from when Charlie Coles died. So, you know, who are, who are we pacifying here? You know, who are we making happy here? A, a lot of UC fans don't want to play the game. And I just don't know that there's this core of people that 
every single year when the schedule comes out on either side, whether it's UC fans or Miami supporters who look at the schedule and go, man, I can't wait for, you know, September the 14th. So, you know, we can bragging rights, like what bragging rights are there? So if the game went away, that'd be fine. If it stays, I'm not going to complain, but the longer this goes, meaning the winning streak and the current trajectory of the two programs, the longer this goes, the louder the conversation is going to be about what should happen with these two programs playing each other. And it's a good and fair conversation to have. Absolutely. That was a phenomenal time, Mo. We kept you a little bit longer than anticipated. Sorry for, uh, for that. But it was a good conversation, I thought. It was, it was a... I was so much better than Tony would have been. It, honestly, I 1,000% I agree because I think that would have been a very X's and O's football-heavy conversation, and I think this was uh, a much different direction that during a bye week is uh, is very welcome, and I think it's going to be very well-received, sir. So thank you for coming on, even though you were my second pick. <laughs> And, <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, guys. Dave, good, good to talk to you, man. See you, Chad. See ya. And now, Dave. Yep. Mel, you can hang up. And now, Dave, I'm going to let you go as well. As yeah. I bring in, I, we're going to, this is a little bit of a surprise. I didn't announce it at the beginning of the show. I didn't mention it on the message board. We're going to do some basketball talk. And I'm going to bring in my main man. Bergie Knights, Justin Berg. But first, before we get to Justin Berg, we got to mention one of our sponsors, and that is Taft's Brew Porium and Taft's Ale House. They are proud sponsors of the VCJ podcast this football season. And although I will not be there, uh, the plan, I believe, is still for a watch party for the Marshall game. I am in the process of checking with the folks at Taft's to make sure they were able to get Facebook, uh, Facebook, whatever broadcast on their televisions. I will let you guys know. I will keep you updated on the message board uh, as we get a little closer to game time. And they make sure that they will be able to get the games up on the TVs. But every other road game, you can join me at Taft's Brewporium where we will watch the Bearcats live and in person. I had a, a nice pepperoni pizza during the Ohio State game that was absolutely delicious. It's one of my three favorite pizza spots in the city. Very close to that top spot. There, there's there's three of them that I've got right there, Berg. They're all right there. There's Adriaticos? No, Adriaticos actually would be number four. Uh. The top three would be would be Taft's Brewporium, uh, Camparosa, which is in Fort Mitchell. Very good. They had that at the. Uh, they have that at uh, up in the press or in the club level area now at Nippert Stadium, and then Strong's Pizza, which is in Newport and Hebron, and I believe they're looking to open an Ohio location here soon. Uh, but they have one of the old school like ovens from Italy, the 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 brick wood, uh, the, you know, the brick ovens uh, that are you know they've got the the lady with the uh, the big flat pizza spatula that spins it around and, and the pizza cooks in like 90 seconds. It's like 900 degrees inside the oven. Not quite 90 seconds, probably like four to five minutes, but those three places, those are my three spots. Uh, and, and it's because Taft's pizza is just absolutely phenomenal. 
Taft's is good. I had it last year during the uh, Wichita State game. It yeah. was it was some good stuff. I would I, although I would you know what I would put up there Donatos. I don't care if it's you know delivery or whatever the I case mean, is. I, I love me some Donatos and then old school Tony's frozen pizza man. It's just still <laughs> you can make a whole know? pizza, fold it in half and eat the whole thing. Did you know? It's a little known. I don't think anybody on Bearcat Journal knows this fact. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it before. I opened, I was on the, the staff that opened the first Donato's in Greater Cincinnati. Wow. They're, they're a Columbus company, and two guys decided they were going to franchise them down into northern Kentucky. There were none in Greater Cincinnati yet, and I, at like 14, 15 years old, was on the, the first staff at the first Donato's in the Greater Cincinnati area. Nice. My first job was at Skyline when I was 16, so I think yours would trump mine, although mine was pretty awesome. I mean, Skyline, not bad either. But I, nah. I have a, a place, that, a warm spot in my heart for Donato's Pizza. So Okay, good. Uh, if I had, like, fast food, Donato's is right up there uh, on the list as well. But after all that football talk, we've got, like, six days until basketball practice starts. Uh, September 24th is the first day allowed by the NCAA calendar. We have not heard word yet from UC on when their actual first day of practice will be. Uh, but coming up here in the next week, Berg, practice begins for the 2019-20 season. The Bearcats that, have a new yeah. coach. Wow. There's, <laughs> I know that's still a wow. That's still a, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe what happened last spring and summer actually happened. But we are going to get to see our first look at what a John Brandon coach Cincinnati Bearcat basketball program looks like uh, in the not-so-distant future. About six weeks away, roughly six, seven weeks away from the start of the season. In and a couple of weeks couple weeks from, uh, from Midnight Bearcat Madness, Jam. Bring, bringing yeah. Midnight Madness back. I mean, I'll get some your very, very fond memories of that. I'll Just get your thoughts back. on that here before we okay. get out of this podcast. But... It's Wildberg, but here we are, and I know you've been in your uh, your landscaping bubble with your highly successful landscaping business over the past couple months. We check in about once every two to three weeks, and we talk some Bearcat hoops, but uh, I'm going to turn this thing over to you and, and let you fire away. I'll answer to the best of my ability. I, I have yet to, to catch a John Brannon uh, workout over the summer. Um but I, I have had my ear to the ground. I have been hearing things, and uh, I, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for right. you to throw at me what you got. We've got to and, – and get ready, people. The first Berg preseason article is in the can and will be appearing tomorrow. So that's how you start to know. Like once Berg starts firing random basketball stories at me that I didn't ask for, you know the season is right around the corner because Berg is starting to feel it. Berg and his downtime at home when the baby is sleeping. Cincinnati basketball is starting to churn in his brain, and he's got to get the words on paper. And we're almost there, Berg. We're almost there. Yeah, that was uh, <clears throat> that. That just kind of came out of nowhere last night. But I think at some point here we'll we'll touch on that a little. So that way, if people that are Set listening, they they want to yeah they want to read it and then they want to uh, weigh in. That's fine. I have just a really weird list of stuff um, to go through here. Uh, some recruiting stuff, some obviously stuff about this year's team. Um, 
Here's a here's just here's probably the weirdest thing that I that came to my mind today. And and granted, um, keep this in mind. Uh, haven't been getting a ton of sleep. The baby's been teething. I guess she's a toddler now, but just yeah, waking up a lot. I, I'm just I'm just my, my brain's a little scrambled. So I was thinking about um, what if and or what are the chances that we see an Aristides Aquino like emergence from Mama Do Diara this season? Uh, like, like, I, like, I, like, let's say he just starts dropping like 25 or 30, like, I don't know. Like, he just, you know. I, I think the chances of that are pretty small. But I will say, because dropping, Jared Cumberland wasn't dropping 25 and 30 last year, and he was one of the best players in the sport. So I think the chances of that specifically are pretty small. I will say, I know from the people I have talked to around the program, they have been very, very happy with, with, what they have seen from Mamadou this entire offseason. Um, I think maturity has definitely kicked in for him. He's getting a little, a little bit older now. He's he's growing up some. He, he's growing into manhood and, and thinking more responsibly. Uh, and uh, Nothing major, but just how you carry yourself. You know, are, are you... Are you going back to the gym at 10 o'clock at night and getting up some shots? Or are you trying to run around with a couple girls that live on your, you know, on your floor at the apartment? And I think that focus, that, that desire to be good is starting to, to be more prominent with Mamadou. Um, I know the people around the program have been very pleased with what they have seen from him so far. How they use him, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to watch because I think in a lot of ways he, he's kind of a, a four in John Brandon's system. And I, and I think we saw last year, like I, I don't know that he's ever going to have the strength to really defend the five. But that part is going to be interesting. And I do expect as a redshirt sophomore – I do expect Mamadou to be a, a, a pretty important part of this puzzle as this team, you know, if they really, if you want to press and you want to run and you, and you need athletes and you need length and you need athleticism, that kid has it all over the place. So, I mean, ultimately, Berg, to answer your question, I, I, I think Mamadou is going to be a, an important part of the team. Do I think he's going to set all-time college basketball records? Uh, in his first month as a college as a as a, a player in John Brandon's system, I might go a little easy on the Aristides Aquino uh, <laughs> example, but that's just me. You do it a little different than I do. Yeah, that just was for whatever reason that clicked in my brain. <clears throat> he he's a lot of raw talent, right? So that was that was yeah. where that's where the comparison came in because Aquino all these years it was like man he can crush the ball, but he just couldn't put it together and and. Mamadou's way early on in his career compared to where Aquino is now after like five or six, seven years in the minors. But he just has all that potential, that potential. Yeah, I just want to see, you want to see it. And it, it, you've seen him, you see him hit face up jumpers. He obviously can jump really high, has long arms. Just seems like the type of guy, like, oh my God, how did he, 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 you can't stop this guy. Maybe it won't be this year. Maybe it'll be down the road. But very, very intriguing player for him. I so, think he's going to have a good yeah. year. I think he's going to be a piece of the puzzle. I do too. I don't. I think that it's, it's probably um, 
unlikely that he'll start uh, right away, but I think he'll play a major role, like you just said. So if he doesn't start, and we know that Trayvon's going to start, and this is going to get into I don't know a this answer. More. I don't. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. I know what you're going to ask, but I, I don't know how John Brandon is going to handle the rotation between the four and the five. And it's going to yeah, be fascinating to see how it, it works out. Right. That's what that, I wrote about. Yeah. That, that's what Justin wrote about. That, that's where he was going with this question. What's, what's, it gonna, what's the four and the five going to look like for John Brandon this year? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, Trey Scott's going to be on the floor at one of the two spots. Um, I think you're very perimeter heavy in terms of roster construction. So I, I do see small ball lineups. I, I think if you play the numbers game, that's really the only thing that makes a lot of sense is that there's quite a bit of small ball in this team's future uh, with only really four big guys on the roster that are going to play this year. So I do think that is uh, that is something we're going to see a lot. But in terms of of how it how it plays out, I I'm going to be very interested at the midnight madness scrimmage, assuming there is one. That what does it look like? What do, what do the two teams look like? What does he put on the floor? Is it traditional? Is it non traditional? I think that that storyline is by far the most fascinating storyline going into the 2017 or 2019-20 season. I, 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 yeah. I, I just don't know. I have no yeah, idea. It's been, a long t- it's, it's been a long time since we didn't know. Right. It's been many, many years in a row now where we knew who was going to start the four and the five. So now it's all up in the air. I mean, the, I guess the traditional way would be Jay Soroya from Tortosa, Spain, seven-footer. You know, throw him out there. He's, he's a big body. And, um, and, and Trayvon could play his four like he played last year. And, I mean, he played with a basically a seven-footer last year um, that wasn't much of an outside jumper type of threat. And I, don't, I don't know that Soroya is much of a shooter. But, you know, same type of deal, big guy in the middle, and then Trayvon can rove and he can hit the outside shot. And but so remember, that would probably – yeah. Remember, Drew McDonald played the five almost exclusively in John's system at NKU. And he shot a lot of threes. So I don't yeah. think playing the five on offense limits you from shooting on the perimeter in John's system. So it's going to be fascinating because yeah. when you break it down and you look at the roster, I think, and, and this might get into some of your later questions, I think Chris McNeil is going to see probably the bulk of the minute at the point guard. You've got Micah Adams-Woods backing him up there you could play woods off the ball you've got javen cumberland you've got jaron cumberland you've got keith williams you've got a stud freshman in zach harvey you've got trevor moore like you've got plenty of depth and experience there that you could do a lot of different things mixing those guys between one through four You've got a guy that can guard big men in Jaron Cumberland. That is a part of your article that I'll let people uh, examine tomorrow. But it's going to be very interesting to see this first year with John Brandon. I, I'm fascinated to see how he makes. Yeah. Because if if Mick Cronin is is here, 
Nizier Brooks is the five, Trey Scott's the four. We've got that answer again. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, now we don't have that answer going into we're six weeks from the season. We don't know. Yeah. So, so coach has, he just has a lot of things he can do you know, and, and he can mix and match in a lot of different ways. And, and so <clears throat> you, you just brought up McNeil. I actually wrote down, will he be, you know, pretty much the, um, the full-time point guard. And I, I mean, <clears throat> I would imagine that it's just going to be a mix of, of Jaron and, and McNeil. And then, like you said, a little bit of Adams Woods when he's on the floor. If if those guys are neither one of those guys are on the floor, um, running the show. What do you? I mean, what what do we know about McNeil? I know he's well traveled. He's been to a lot of different places. He's about six foot, six foot one. He's got some speed. I think he's a decent shooter. He's not one of the best we've ever had. So I think just, he was a volume shooter, which he doesn't right. really need to be on this team. Yeah. So he just needs to keep his turnovers down and, and play good D and, and just push the pace, right? Because that's what. Brandon wants that pace. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I, I think it's also something that, that has been talked about through the first, when John got to Northern, it took them a while to ramp up to the pace that he really wanted to play. So I don't know that you're going to see a team that's top 125 in the country in tempo right away. So I think it's going to be important for Chris McNeil to be a point guard because I think you will see some a, a decent amount of half-court stuff. Uh, just as he, as John continues, this isn't going to be all of a sudden you flip a switch and this team is playing at breakneck speed. Really? Um, I, that's no, what they keep saying. All the, no, all the players I, are saying it. I think, yeah, but that's easier said than done. Yes, it's going to be faster, and – it's not going to take much to be – but what I'm saying is they're not going to be one of the faster teams in the country. You just flip a switch and all of a sudden that happens. That's not how it works. It's not how it worked when John got to Northern. He implemented it over the course of time. Right. But I don't think you can expect this team to just all of a sudden be Loyola Marymount. Well, I don't – yeah, I think that's that's the extreme, but – I mean, I think top 125 in, in pace is, is I, reasonable. I, I mean, he, he really – They are not top 150. All right. Well, you owe me, you owe me for the uh, Temple-UConn bet yeah. last year. We'll double down so, on that. Okay. Because, because Brandon has said um, and, and been documented that he really believes that pace um, is what leads to better offensive efficiency. Yes. And I so, think he believes that. I, I, I yeah. think he truly believes that. I just don't think it's it's as easy to just walk in and in four months, all of a sudden, you're one of the faster teams in the country. Okay. I, I disagree, so we have our bet. <laughs> I don't know what there is to disagree with on that. I, where else has it happened before that a team has gone from one of the slowest teams in the country to to one of the fastest teams in the country in the snap of a finger? Coaching sure. change or not. Yeah, well. Okay. It's going to take a little bit of time. And I'm not saying they're not going to run. I'm just saying as a as a whole over 30, 40-minute games, I think they're, they're going to be much improved in pace. But I don't think they're all of a sudden just going to be top 125 in tempo. Yeah, um, you know what? I may have to rethink this bet because in, <laughs> in, in the American Conference with all these defensive right. teams and stuff, it's just going to be hard to get. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of those teams – try to play a slower pace because they just, you know, defense rules in that well, league. Well, and but. John plays a slower 
John's defense requires, because of the press, requires teams to take more time. Yeah. So in terms of overall, like I, I think it's gonna it's gonna take some time to really get fully, and, and that'll change with Mikey Saunders coming in next year. Who? Yeah, talk is, about him because he's on my list too. Let's 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 take a little sidebar. Give me some some Mike Saunders Jr. stuff. Like, okay, so you know I'm not much a one for hyperbole, and the Mikey Saunders is really fast thing. I had to see to believe, right? Yeah. Because that's how I am. You know, like, I don't like giving evaluations on guys I haven't seen. Even if I've talked to, like, three or four scouts that I trust, I, I just trust my eyes. And I think over the years, it's been uh, – my eyes are pretty good in terms of picking up on this stuff. Holy cow, he's fast. <laughs> like, he just has a gear that – there were three or four times when I saw him in Atlanta where there were, you know – Mikey, one of his teammates, and two or three defenders at half court at the same time. And in the blink of an eye, Mikey's at the rim, and those guys are a step and a half behind him. Mm. So that he does possess what I would call elite is a word I'm very hesitant to use, but he's. As as close as it gets to elite speed, without me saying he's you know John Wall. <laughs> now is he, is is he faster end to end than my man Kane Broom? Yes, it's not close. Really, it's not close. Because when Kane got going, I mean he could zip up and down. Yeah, Mikey straight line with the ball in his hands mm. is damn near impossible for anyone to keep up with. Wow. Okay. Well, so what? he's got an improving jump shot. I think and talking to him, being the son of a, a coach, his dad coaches his AAU team has been around the game a long time. I, I've talked to Mikey quite a bit about, you know, what are, what are you working on with your jumper? And the thing was, he understood exactly where his flaws were. And was able to point them out. Like, one of the main examples that I took away from the conversation I had with him about it. He said, because because I'm so fast with the ball in my hand, my feet get ahead of my body. And that makes my jump shot inconsistent. He said, so what I've got to work on is when I'm when I'm not in attack mode slowing myself down a little bit so that I can get my form to be repeatable because right. right now that's the biggest problem is his form's not repeatable because his feet aren't set underneath him the same way every time. So I think as that develops, and then also there were, there were questions about his free throw shooting coming into the summer. I watched him for an entire event, every game, he was going to the line six to eight times a game. In five games, he missed three free throws. Solid. So that alleviated a lot of my concerns there. But he is going to be able to change the tempo at which they play. But I don't think that – I don't – and I, I haven't seen Chris McNeil live in person. But what I know of him is he's not a burn – like a, you know, an absolute end-to-end -end speed demon. Okay. So I, I think he's going to push tempo. I think he's going to do the things they ask. I just don't know that, you know, it's going to be 
end-to-end rim running over and over again, uh, which is why I set up the, what I did the the question before. But that that's where I'm at on on point guard Chris McNeil and okay. the addition of Mikey Saunders going forward. So in in the same backcourt or on the wing with Mikey Saunders is going to be the the, the Madsen twins, and I, I watched some film on. Gabe Madsen, that the higher ranked of the two brothers is his brother Mason. And I was my comparison would be Tony Bobbitt with his jump shot, just how quick and it's like it's yeah, it's a quick release, and it's also just how you would want a guy to shoot a jump shot if you were like, Hey, here's how you're supposed to shoot. Yeah. And that's what it looks like. This has I remember Tony Bobbitt was a very classic over on his right shoulder, just perfect release. Yeah, Yeah, just great rotation, all that stuff. Arc. So, but you told me when I when when he first um, signed or, or committed, he hasn't signed yet, but he committed, and um, that that he has a lot a lot else that he can do on the floor other than just shoot, right? He's got some shake to him. Um, okay, he's not. You know, it's not crazy. He's not gonna be wowing you with. He's not Lance Stevenson with the ball in his hands on the wing. He doesn't make him dance like Lance, but. For a kid that has a reputation as a high-level shooter, he can put it on the deck and beat a closeout. Where, you know, if you're coming out too hard at him, he's going to pump fake you, get two or three dribbles, get into the lane, and either make a play for somebody else or put the ball in the basket himself from the mid-range. He is not afraid to put it on the deck. And he has a pretty advanced game from that standpoint. He is not just... You know, a standstill, kick it out on a on a drive to the rim, and and have him knock the shot down. Now he is very good at that, but that is not all he has to his game. Which is that's one of the reasons I really liked him, because I went in looking at the scouting reports leading up to the first time I saw him. He had that kind of reputation as a guy that just just was just a shooter. And I walked away thinking, no, this is a guy that, that that has a lot more to his game than was advertised. Uh, so I, I think he's got a chance to, to come in and not only provide quality minutes as a freshman, but down the road, I think he is a guy that can give you all-conference level production from the wing as he gets to Ooh. be a junior and a senior. And and if, you brother, can shoot his, yeah. if you can shoot it that well – and you've got some other stuff to your game. In this conference, you can be a guy. We've, we've, I mean, Armani Brooks, all-conference type guy, right? Yeah. He didn't do much else more than shoot it. True. So Except, and he also he also talked smack to Jaron Cumberland in the finals of the AAC tournament and lit a fire well under him. him. Yeah, it didn't go well for him. <laughs> So what about his brother Mason? He is he's like six two, six three. Is he like more of a like a backup point guard type of guy? Like he's gonna play some point or what what's his deal? Yeah, I mean I think ultimately he settles in as a as a combo guard. Um he he can also shoot it pretty well. He's strong, he's physical. Uh a lot more a lot more muscle to his game than his older brother. But I think, yeah, ultimately, at least early in his career, he settles in as kind of a backup point guard, maybe a guy that can come in in situations and give you a, a spot shooter on the wing. Um, 
He probably turned it over a little more than I would like to see from a guy with his reputation when I saw him in AAU, but it's AAU. Guys turn it over, and, and that can be fixed. Justin Jennifer was an absolute walking turnover machine when I saw him in AAU, and he turned out to be one of the best assist-to-turnover guys in the country. So that can be worked on. That can be uh, alleviated. He, he's not an end-to-end speed demon, but he gives you a little bit He's kind of a perfect contrast to Mike Saunders if you want a, a guy to come in behind him that gives you something different, that gives you a, a different look to make teams think. Um, you know, he's a kid that he was recruited right around the mid to the top of the Missouri Valley, which I, I think there was this kind of notion about Mason that UC was taking like a walk-on level player. And walk-on level players don't have offers for scholarships at the top of the Missouri Valley. Right. So I think it might take some time for him, you know, to develop into his role. But I think he's a guy that ultimately can be a rotation guy going forward that helps you out. And you see how he develops and, and see where he lands as he gets a little older and gets a little bit more experience. How many guys have we seen come in and be Bearcats that – we're expected to be low-end rotation guys that ended up by their junior or senior years being guys that were critical to Cincinnati's success. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not as down on him as 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 many were. Although okay. I do think that there are limitations, there are there are things he's going to have to work on and improve. Right. Okay. We we have time for what? What do we got? Are you, you up against the clock here? I mean, or we're going. We're going as long as we want to go tonight because the the Mo thing went almost 40, 45 minutes. <clears throat> I wasn't going to limit you to fifteen. So let's just Good. do whatever we do, and as long as this episode goes, if you want to, if you want to cut it into two segments, listen to the football part first, the basketball part second. I know that doesn't do you any good now that you're twenty five minutes into the basketball part, <laughs> but we're going to do what we're going to do here. It's the bye week. We're recording this thing on a Thursday night. Listen to it on Friday. Get back to it over on the weekend, whatever the case may be. But we're just going to roll tonight. So good. No, no pitch it, count. No, good. no, no pitch, pitch count, count tonight. I, right. I've got you on. We haven't talked to you in a long time. I don't want to limit you. I don't want to. I don't want to put a a restraint on the Berg in his return <laughs> to the BCJ podcast. All right. Much appreciated. So the guy. That's kind of the forgotten man on this roster is Prince Toyambi. This guy came late last year, right? So he, yeah. they just were like, yeah, he's going to have to redshirt. He, they, he just got here, and there was a lot of obviously a lot of front court depth. Um, listed at six seven, I, I no, I didn't see no six seven when I saw him up six, close. Five. I was six, six five. five and a half somewhere. In yeah, there. yeah. So. I mean, <clears throat> I've never seen him do anything. I've never, I've seen highlights, but that doesn't. Who cares about those? I mean, I mean, wh- what do we have on this guy? Do we have any any oh, knowledge of, of what what kind of skills <laughs> he has? Do we yeah, know, I mean, is he a shooter? Is he a dunker? Like, I mean, what is he? What's his he, deal? He, he's he's very good at scoring around the rim. He can score with either hand. Um, we'll see how that translates as he gets into the college game where there's more length. Uh, how will that impact him? But a good back-to-the-basket game, he's insanely strong. If you've seen him, and you've seen him before games and, and, and you know, hanging out. In practice, in practice. Yeah, in practice, yeah. His calves look artificial. <laughs> they look fake. Um, 
you know, it's just a matter of how does he translate into because I at the high school level, there's in the AAU level, there's nothing you can do with him because he's so strong and he's so physical. He, he's got a nice touch out to the three point line, especially really? like a yeah, he can he can shoot it pretty good. Hmm. And that was something he worked on extensively in his redshirt year. He's not a knockdown shooter by any stretch, but if you leave him alone and you kick it out to him, Prince can knock down a three. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing him in warmups just shooting some some outside shots, being like, "That looks pretty smooth." Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's not a hitch in his shot at all. So, I'm not sure what he brings this year. I'm not sure where he fits, but he's athletic. He's strong. He's a kid that works hard. I think there's a spot for him. It's probably at the four. And yeah. you could argue with him in the lineup because he's six five, six five and a half. That's almost like a four guard lineup. Um you made an interesting comparison in your article. You mentioned someone that I think is an interesting comparison. Can he be a Jaquan Parker? Yeah, but a bigger, stronger one. He's an inch and a half, two inches taller. He may, I, I don't know about the stronger one. Park may not have had the muscles. Like, yeah, Park was strong as an. He had the will. Yeah, he had the will. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm not talking. Park was strong. Oh, like in like as far as in the weight room and everything. You don't move around six ten, six eleven guys like Park did if you're not <laughs> yeah. strong. It's true. Yeah, his legs were ridiculous. Yeah, so he just he it was it was unconventional. He didn't look like a bodybuilder like Prince kind of does. But Park was really strong. Now Prince is going to have to summon his inner Jaquan Parker. Yeah, that means like the best person, the best boxing out you would yeah. ever want to see. I mean, just I mean Kevin well, Johnson had a few had a few when he after he got yelled at like he would do it every now and again, but like. Jaquan, low, just, I mean, the drove the guy was, back cleanly. Yeah. The other thing was, Park had a great feel for the game. Right. Prince, being from Africa, now he's an insanely smart kid. That was, was heavily talked about in his recruitment. But what is his ultimate on-the-floor feel for the game yeah. like? Because Park understood where a shot was going up, how to box a guy out, how to get the rebound, when to take a three. Like, those intangible things over his his the end of Park's career made him invaluable. Can Prince become somebody like that at the four that might not be conventional, might well, not you, be exactly what you're looking for, but is a guy that you can put on the floor and he can really help you? Yeah, and if you think back to... NKU last year, um, their foreman was six five. Yeah, was it Walt Walton? Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm just—I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I mean, we haven't even started this season yet. But just thinking down the road, Mamadou and Prince Toyambi. I mean, that's just like a very intriguing type of deal there. If they can both potentially shoot threes, obviously one guy can jump out of the gym, the other guy's strong and finish around the rim. Um, that could be one of the cooler front courts we've seen. I mean, we've we've seen some cool ones. Yeah, Maxio and Hicks is obviously the coolest, but that one could be that could be something. So yeah, I, I I just when I started thinking about this team, it's just like no one's talking about him. Barely anyone talked about him last year, but he's eligible now and he can play. And 
he seems like a guy that they're going to need because, like Brandon said, he listed those three stats that he he said we're going to live in these three statistical categories, and one of them was defensive rebounding. And if you're going to have to play small, you're going to need a dude like that to wrestle some stuff down. Yeah, I think that's very important. Very important. Prince Toyambi. Okay. What else you got? Any, uh, we're going to – before we get into the end, we're going to talk about – normally this is reserved. I built a segment around it. You'd be proud of me. I know you haven't listened to the, the podcast lately. But I started this last year when I would put you – because you didn't like to make picks. So at the end of the podcast, I <laughs> sponsored the picks. But before we get to the end of your questions today – I'm sponsoring that since we don't have picks to make. It's a bye week in basketball. We got a long way to go before uh, football. We got a long way to go before we start making picks in basketball. But the end of this show is brought to you by Trace Poundhouse Coffee. Fresh roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order. Shipped out immediately. Every bag they ship has the roast date clearly printed on it. So you know your coffee is fresh. If you're a coffee drinker, you've heard of single origin coffee. Trace Poundtas Coffee is one level higher. The coffee comes from a single family farm. Specifically, our high quality beans come from the Race Family Coffee Farm located near the town of Trace Poundtas, Brazil. That's pretty good, right? One farm. That's where your coffee's coming from. Huh. You, can, you can find out about Trace Poundtas in this specific way. Very specific, Bird. www tracepontas.com slash coffee t-r-e-s-p-o-n-t-a-s dot com slash coffee the orders are roasted fresh shipped out immediately 12 ounce bags and whole bean and ground coffee you can choose between light medium dark and french roast and now they even have k-cups what do you do you go to the trace pontas website tracepontas.com slash coffee you sign up for a coffee subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one two or four weeks when you sign up, you go to checkout, you enter Bearcats at checkout. That gets you 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. You also get free shipping. So make sure you go to tracepoundtoss.com, get your coffee subscription, get your coffee, and then send us a picture at Bearcat Journal so we know you are a proud member of the Trace Poundtoss family. All right, Berg, what else you got for me? Bring it on. Well, I don't have a question. I have more of a parting shot, if you'll allow me one. A, a shot at me? No, just, you know how they did at the end of, like, the sports reporters? They would, remember that show? It was, like, on Sunday mornings where it was, like, Mike Lupica and all those guys. Yeah. And they would just, you know, each guy would, they would go around and you would, you know, just kind of do something to say, something you want to just get off your chest. So if, if you'll permit me one, I have one. Bring it on. Okay. So the way that last season ended the way the last couple seasons ended and leading into the coaching change. I think that what happened around the fan base, and this is just part of the fan base, but, but it, it did exist where there was a lot of fatigue um, with coach Mick Cronin. He's gone now. He went to UCLA and now the fact that the coaching change happened and there, there were, there were people calling for his head for a lot of years. There was people who, when he first got the job, were calling for him to not have the job, and they never gave him a chance. There were people who gave him a chance, but then, like I said, they, they maybe just they, they, they were expecting more than he was able to deliver. And then there was people who were with him the whole way through. Regardless, what this man left behind, I mean, 
everybody should get out those thank you cards that you're supposed to write for people when they give you a gift and send him one. I know he's off in Westwood. He doesn't, he's not even thinking about this anymore, but what he left behind is look, I mean, just when you go to that arena now and that whole area and I'm Clifton, I mean, just, he was a huge reason why that is what it is. And when he took over the program, this has been documented 8 million times, but where the image of the program was as far as in the country and, you know, with, with, with recruits, you know, all that stuff. And he just grinded and grinded and grinded. And he had a lot of help along the way, but he was the one constant. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 and I'll say, I mean, I was also kind of like, you know, towards the end of his tenure, just like, you know, wanting a little more, just like everybody would. Um, and, but, you know, when I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, man, this guy, he like, he just elevated the program from where it was when he got it to such a better level and a lot and just so many different areas. So my whole thing is, okay, you know, people that, that wanted a new coach. All right, we have one and he's going to, I'm sure he's going to do a, a fantastic job. He's, he cares. He's bringing it. He really is ready for this opportunity is, is what it seems, but we don't need to go through the whole season being like, see, Look what he did. Mick would never would have done that. We don't. We don't need any of that. So let's just, yeah, you know, let let that let that chapter close, and and you know, let's open the next chapter. But you know, I think just that's all I needed to say on that. And then we don't have to really bring it up the rest of the year. Yeah, I can tell you right now that's not going to happen. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's a it's a that's noble why... attempt, Berg. It's a noble attempt, but it's not going to happen. There's oh, no chance. I... I don't expect it to. It was, it, it was, it was, just, that's why it's a parting shot. Like, you know, you, you know, you're not going to get, a, you know, you're not going to convince every, anybody of it. But that's just how, that's just what was going through my head. 15 years later, we're still having Bob Huggins, Mick Cronin debates. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The, the John Brandon, Mick Cronin comparisons are just getting started, brother. I, I appreciate know. the parting shot. <laughs> But I can guarantee you there ain't nobody that's going to be like, you know what? He's right. <laughs> yeah, there might be one person, you know, who's like, yeah, you if know what? I, I, I kind of forgot about all this stuff that he left behind. It's yeah. nice. If, yeah, I know. If you're yeah. the one person Berg reached with his parting shot, <laughs> please comment in the mentions below this, <laughs> below this podcast. <sighs> I know. Everyone has their thing, and I get it. I know. And just, you I, I know just, it's just one of those things. Like I just kind of, yeah, yeah I well, thought it needed to be said, even if it doesn't change anyone's mind. Who cares? You're new to this message board stuff still. Even after three years, you're not you're not really there day to day. Nope. I can assure you, your parting shot is falling on deaf ears, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm All sure right, it is. Man. All right, man. Well, I know you got a couple weeks left of uh, of of hard work on the landscaping front more than a couple of weeks we go we go till mid-december well i mean a, like the full-time hardcore like morning noon and night version hopefully it starts mm. cooling off here soon well what happens is when the fall comes around and all the people have the leaves and so you get you get a lot more a lot more calls at that time of year so it actually it's kind of a little a little more chill this time of year at the end of the summer before the fall. But as soon as those leaves start falling, my phone is getting blown up. You so just, you, you go rake leaves at people's house. 
we do all kinds of stuff. We blow them, rake them, tarp them, take them out of there, blow them to the street, mow them, whatever. You know, people just they need they just need something done with them. So well, we, we do one day we when you're... and then we'll do a lot of other stuff too for the fall cleanups besides that. But just one day when you're here in northern Kentucky, I'll have you stop by, blow the leaves into a pile, and let Kelsey jump in them. That's fine. <laughs> I'd like to see that. Uh, all right, brother. Well, it was phenomenal hearing from you again. It has been a while, at least for this podcast version. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, for sure. And uh, you can hear I have a little cold, and it's uh, my daughter started daycare about a month oh, ago. So you, you know how that goes. The worst. Kelsey, Kelsey started fourth grade, and I know that'll age some of you because you remember when Kelsey was born uh, as members of this website. Kelsey started fourth grade. And within four days of her starting fourth grade, she was sick. Kelly was sick. I was sick. Yep. Never fails. Every mm-hmm. year. Soon as school starts. Yeah. I need, to, I need to get ahead of that and start taking, like, every vitamin in the book. Vitamins like, don't. Yeah. They don't even help. I know. I need to do something. I need to live in a bubble for, like, the first month that she's back to school. I hear you. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, you are going to be at Midnight Madness. I know you're excited for its return. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I when I used to get when I went to co- when I was in college and I went to Miami, and some of you know that, some of you don't. But I would come down to UC's Midnight Madness and skip Miami's every year. Um, I've been to a, a, pretty much every one they've had, um, at least in my lifetime. And of course, the number one memory for me is James White through the legs from the foul line dunk, and number two would be Melvin jumping over the golf cart. I thought you would have that the other way around, but I mean, you're more through the a, legs from the yeah. foul line. I mean, through the legs. You're not a doesn't... prop guy. You're not a prop guy on dunks, though. I mean, um, I can I can be, but that just right. I mean, there's just, there's just preferred... doesn't even compute in my brain that you could go through your legs from the foul line. Right. And he did it, and I saw it. All right. Well, you will who's going to who's going to do that at this? Is Keith going to bring something legendary to, to this one? That's what I mean, that's what remains to be seen. Somebody needs to. I, I think Keith would be <laughs> probably the most likely. Mm-hmm. Mamadou. Um. And potentially Prince Toyambi. Maybe. Maybe. We just don't know, man. We just don't know. We'll see. You midnight, <laughs> October fourth. It's awesome, baby. All right, Bird. <laughs> Good to talk Thanks, to you, man. brother, and we will talk yep. again here in the very near future as basketball season is quickly, quickly racing its way up the calendar. All right. Thanks to Mo Egger. I thought we had a phenomenal conversation about this season. Luke Fickle and the 2019 football team. Thanks to Dave Simone. He added some great insight as well. And thanks to my man, Justin Bird. I'm Chad Brendel. We will see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.